everyone, and welcome to the Them Before Us podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jen Friesen, and we are joined by founder and president Katie Faust. Hi, Katie. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening. Thanks for joining us. We had a very exciting day yesterday. Do you want to tell people what we did, made some Them Before Us history? Uh, just partying, just kind of general living it up and partying. We had our very first ever Them Before Us event. And, um, you know, there's some things that I do well as a director of a nonprofit. And um, one of those things is like talking about these issues and um, trying to advocate from the perspective of the child. Uh, one of the many things I do poorly is um, think big in terms of how to broaden our support and through events. And so we've never done a Them Before Us event before. So some of the new staff that we are bringing on, including our new chief of staff, Josh Wood, and some of our other project directors, they're like, uh, hi, you, you keynote so many people's dinners, you speak at conferences, why don't you speak at your own event? And I was like, I don't know, should we really do that? And they convinced me. And um, so we had our first ever Them Before Us dinner in Seattle last night. And, um, There'll be pictures posted because it was it was beautiful and uh i mean jen like you want to just like share a little bit about like what happened and your impressions and all of that but i was amazed um i'll say a little bit more but you can fill people in if you want yeah such a fun night and i've worked doing events in other nonprofit work <clears throat> where i i've had to be more the person that's like quote the event coordinator which is not my gifting at all when you're trying to run around and make sure things are placed in the right places and you've got your programs printed, all that stuff. This was so fun because I just got to be there. I was, I thought you were going to say that one of the things you're really good at is schmoozing and hanging out with people because that was, that's what I'm good at doing. I just like hanging out with people and chatting and meeting. And it's so fun. Someone at our table, they're donors and I've recognized their names from exchanging emails and following up with them, but I never got to meet them in person. So it was so fun to meet so many of these friends and allies who've donated or who encourage us with emails and feedback and we've recognized their names and now we got to meet them in person. People drove, you know, we had a yeah. friends that drove three hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was amazing. And um, I said this last night, I was like, this is how I felt at the rehearsal for my wedding when I had all these people flying in that I don't get to see very often, um, family members or friends from long distances or whatever um, that I love. And I want to be with everybody for two or three hours and you get a few minutes. It was So it was overwhelming in the most joyous sense. Like every person that walked through the door, I thought, oh my gosh, I love them. And then there was new people that I had never met before that, I don't know. I just think that if you are supporting them before us, you are high quality people. Like that's just kind of what I've found. Like it, the high, ca the caliber of people that are involved in this is amazing. And then I will say the event itself was beautiful. The food was great. Um, there'll be pictures so that you can, you know, fact check me. But um, the reason why it was beautiful is I had nothing to do with it. Like if I had been choosing napkins or venues, um, it would have been horrifying. But no, we had, um, an amazing event coordinator named Amy, who was putting it all together for us from afar, and she still totally nailed it. So it was just an absolute delight. Yes, it was amazing. And we're so thankful it went well.
Okay, so fun events aside, there's been some exciting stuff in the news recently. Um, surrogacy, you've probably seen it popping all across your social media or news alerts. We've had a few kind of prominent gay couples procure children via surrogacy recently. One big one is a guy named Guy Benson, who is a Fox News commentator. So he's a conservative and pretty well known. I don't know a ton about him. I don't know if you know that much about him, but he made news because he made a big announcement. Hey, my husband and I have a kid now and kind of blew up the conservosphere. Tell us what you know about Guy or sort of what your initial reaction, even before you replied, because we'll get into that. But what was your initial reaction? Well, he announced that they were creating a surrogate born child several months ago. And um, it was the same kind of thing. It's kind of a repeat of the Dave Rubin um, announcement, right? Where they announced that they are quote unquote pregnant um, with surrogate born children. And what you see is this the conservative elites generally have no problem with this. And you see prominent conservatives like Jonah Goldberg and Meghan McCain who are congratulating both of these men on their creation of intentionally motherless children. So Guy Benson announced that this was in process a couple months ago and then just over the, the Friday before last, I think, um, he announced that the baby had been born. Um, and of course, the baby is wonderful. The ba baby is fearfully and wonderfully made. The baby is beautiful. The baby is a gift. Um, but again, it was the celebration of this process that intentionally denied the baby a connection with their genetic mother, severed the connection with their birth mother, and will be raising the baby in a home completely starved of maternal presence. And so I think what was shocking, again, I don't know why we're going to continue to be shocked, was that among, I would say, conservative elites, most of them are either silent or congratulatory. But what you see from the um, conservative like normies, just kind of the everyday conservatives, they're not having any of it. They're like, why? Okay, first of all, we're not celebrating this. And why is it that conservative elites are getting this wrong? Um, so, you know, we can talk about the different um, responses, but I ended up writing an article in The Federalist to simply say, here's the conservative, if you genuinely believe yourself to be a conservative, this is how you must think about the issue of surrogacy because there is so much confusion, even among people who you would think would have this argument down pat. Right. Yeah, so parade.com, which I think is more of just a celebrity entertainment kind of website said, Guy Benson and his husband, Adam Wise, became first-time fathers over the holiday weekend. That's kind of the first mistake because one of them might be the father, but they can't both be the father, genetically speaking. The couple who married in 2019 in a lavish Napa ceremony exclusively shares with Parade the details of their son's arrival. We've got a name. We've got a date and a time. Oh, this was November 25th is when he was born. Now, he arrived 3.42 a.m., Central time on Saturday, November 25th via surrogate. That's mention number one. The closest we get to another mention is when they say, we flew to the Midwest for the 20-week ultrasound to be physically present for that. Meaning, it sounds like, they weren't physically in the same place as this child until half of the child's life right half of their time in the womb was the first time 
the dads, quote unquote, well, we were physically. Yeah, some of them, I don't think they lived there. I think they just dropped in, right? Dropped in for the ultrasound and then flew back out. Yep. Yeah. So they don't even say surrogate in those next few lines. So the only time this mom, you know, mom number two, birth mom is mentioned is that first line born via surrogate. That's it. The rest of it is just, oh, how's it going? Oh, we're learning how to change diapers. And it is just crazy to me that it's like when women don't matter, when they're not, when it when we don't want them to matter, you're not mentioned. They don't even use the terms mom, woman, anything. It's surrogate. Okay. And then Daily Citizen is uh, focused on the family newsletter and article um, that they posted said the commodification of children is not conservative. It's not conservative to support surrogacy. They kind of laid out all the people who had been commenting one way or the other. And they quoted Benson, his Instagram post. Now that Conrad's here, I am not going to tolerate attacks on my family, including and especially the existence of my son. So that's a little bit that straw man that people are saying, we don't like your kid the kid shouldn't exist, which you've already stated beautifully. That is not what we're talking about. But do you remember, I have your reply uh, verbatim if you want, or do you want to say kind of what you felt when you saw that um, and how you wanted to reply to that? Well, simply that, you know, they, I think you're exactly right. They're framing this as if you critique my decisions, you're attacking my child. But from a children's rights perspective, the fact that we love the child, the fact that we respect their rights, that we honor their very existence requires that we critique the circumstances of their conception. Not only can these things go together, but they must go together. If we really do understand who children are, how they come to be, what their rights and what their needs are, we will both value the life of the child and adamantly stand against processes that um, starve them of their biological identity, um, inflict mother hunger on them, create a primal wound uh, in terms of the intentional loss of their birth mother. Um, like loving this child actually means pointing out how they were harmed through this process. And it is not an attack on the child. It is absolutely an attack on the ideas and choices that led to this child losing their fundamental rights. It was interesting. Yeah, he did block you and he pre-blocked me. Yeah. Um, it's interesting though, there, there were many comments like we've talked about before, a lot of our allies and advocates now are using our language. That was more things that the Focus on the Family article pointed out, which is really cool because we're seeing a lot of people adopting the language that you've helped train everyone in now. Allie B. Stuckey is a good example and other folks who now know, they recognize it for what it is. You, we get a lot of, com you'll see a lot of comments online when you see the guy in the hospital bed holding the baby and people are just like that is so annoying the mom did all the work had the baby and now the baby's been handed off to a dude who's sitting in two men who are sitting in the hospital bed together it's like why are you in a hospital bed yeah after guy benson made his announcement um i i probably was on twitter for 30 hours over the course of like three or four days having the same conversations over and over identifying why adoption is different from surrogacy, um, why you need more than just two parents, um, explaining like how surrogacy trifurcates one woman into three purchasable and optional women. And um, it, it was very clear that, well, so two things, that conservatives especially, because 
a lot of conservatives have a problem when Pete Buttigieg does this, mm -hmm. but they don't have a big problem when someone on their side does it. And that's an issue, right? Because that's the kind of hypocrisy that gives us very little legitimacy in any of these conversations. Like, are you going to stand for children or not, even when somebody's on your side is doing it? Um, and so I kind of collated all of those major arguments into one um, article for The Federalist called The Conservative Pro-Life Case Against Surrogacy. And that just lays out, this is the proper way to think about it, right? The proper way to think about surrogacy is not from the perspective of exploitation of women, which is true, um, not from the perspective of, oh, let's just contractually look at this, um, let's regulate it, libertarian perspective of like, just let adults be free to whatever do whatever they want. The proper way to look at this, especially from a conservative perspective, is a posture of defense of the natural rights of children. Um, and we explain why surrogacy is trafficking, but adoption is not. We explain why you're going to need to recenter the conversation around the child when everybody, I there's a huge uh, Twitter account called Ali Yasser, I think, or oh, Yasser Ali. Yeah. And, you know, he was like, why are you being so mean? Like these poor men, they just want to have children, right? And I was like, you've misunderstood understood who the victim here. The, the victim is not the adults. The victim is the child. So like that, you're going to constantly have to reframe the narrative around the rights and well-being of the child. And then the other objection that I um, identified was, shouldn't these kids just shut up and be grateful to be alive? I mean, these whiny babies. Right. And, you know, that was a point that was made not exactly like that by a woman named, I think her name is Katie Sullivan. I should look it up. She's awesome. Her, her name, first name's Katie. Maybe it's not Sullivan, but she, um, she is half of a really fantastic podcast. And she's like, okay, so the alternative is be dead. The alternative is you are never born. So what's the problem with these technologies? And so, you know, responding to that, shouldn't you be grateful to be alive um, sort of objection that a lot of children conceived through sperm and egg donation and surrogacy have to contend with. Um, and it's the same thing that we would say about rape. Like you can be grateful for somebody's life and critical of the circumstances of their conception. Sure. Um, and then I listed, you know, who cares that these kids grow up without half their medical history and starving for their biological identity and craving missing maternal or paternal love and dealing with the fact that they have dozens or hundreds of half siblings. Honestly, why can't these kids just be grateful to be alive, even though there was such a big paycheck attached? I mean, they the diminishing of the genuine struggles that children who are created through this marketplace experience in the name of shut up and be grateful. It's just like this giant big fertility gaslighting campaign. Um, so all of that can be found in the um, surrogacy article that I wrote for the Federalist called the conservative pro-life case against surrogacy. And, and what you can see is um, Zachary who wrote at the focus on the family outlet, you can see him pulling his arguments directly from our, you know, our arguments. And there was there was two or three different articles that came out in the wake of our Federalist piece that really mirrored and reflected that framework, that way of looking at the issue. And I, I said this at the gala last night, um, we're probably the most influential organization you've never heard of. Mm -hmm. Because what we're doing here is we are shaping the way especially conservatives think and talk about these issues, primarily surrogacy, because it's new, because there's so much confusion, um, because there's different takes in terms of how you want to address it. Um, all of those takes have shortfalls, like the libertarian um, critique falls short, the contractual critique, the, the feminist 
this critique, they all have holes in it. It's only the children's rights perspective that actually gives you sort of a seamless garment to be able to respond to all the different objections, you know, from what's the distinction between surrogacy and adoption to does it matter if money changes hands to does it matter if it's traditional or gestational? Does it matter if the couple is heterosexual or homosexual? I mean, only the children's rights perspective is going to give you the ironclad response to responding to all different kinds of surrogacy situations. So it's been amazing to me um, over the last week and a half watching our influence when it comes to how all of these other influencers talk and speak about surrogacy. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too. And I had some of these conversations last night as I was just sharing how we think about it. One of the questions, Robert George talked about this on our podcast with him a few episodes ago. Start with the idea that if a man and woman go into the hospital and the woman has the baby, is it okay if they just hand you any baby to take home. And it's like, no, of course not. Nobody thinks that's okay. And this, I, I've, I've, I've replied this to people on Twitter who say it, it doesn't matter about a mom and a dad. It's just, they need two parents. And we're seeing some of this. We responded to some of this this week as well with the new book that's out. And a lot of people are now agreeing two parent privilege is a thing. Okay. So it doesn't matter what adults, as long as they're caring parents, it's like, okay, so you're saying if you went home and your husband just never came home, but a super nice guy showed up and was like, hey, like I'm the one who's going to be your husband and, and the, the kid's dad now. Your kids would not care at all. They wouldn't even blink if mom or dad didn't come home. But another nice person came home. Nobody actually thinks that's true. Right. And when we say to a guy, Benson and his husband, you know, partner, uh, why didn't you guys adopt? Well, we wanted a genetic connection. To the child. I wanted him to look like me. I wanted him to know who his dad was or whatever they say. And it's like, okay, totally. We get the genetic connection is very important. The problem is they then don't think it matters at all to the child who now has lost 50%. At least some, some kids lose all of it. You know, they're, they're, um, you know, sperm and egg donor and then surrogate and then adopted or whatever it is. Um, they kind of don't acknowledge that it matters. Another uh, thing I had asked people on Twitter when you're given sort of this false choice, well, if you'd rather not exist or exist, wouldn't it be better to exist? You know, and they kind of use that to discount the, the ways of conception. And I was like, but it seems like the actual question is, would you like to be alive and know your mother or be alive and never know your mother? I would like to be alive and know my mother and my father. That's the actual question we're talking about when it comes to conception. And it's amazing to me, you know, watch for this um, in conversations about all marriage and family issues, whether it's divorce or same-sex parenting or adoption or whatever it is. The other side to make their case must always appeal to the worst case scenarios. Like they have got to find the ultimate exceptions. Um, you know, oh, would you rather your parents like constantly war in your home or be happy and get divorced? I mean, it's like, you have to appeal to the the uber worst situation to justify the adult decisions. So we always say, no, you need to actually um, recognize the rights and need and well-being of children and then conform to what they are saying. So the solution is not to constantly war. It is to solve the problem, to go through the marriage counseling, to make sure that you actually are creating an environment for your child where they neither have to lose their mother or father to divorce, nor do they have to live in a home with, where there's constant war and conflict. You know, the solution is not oh alive not alive without a mom uh the solution is 
create children so they are both alive and have a relationship with their mother. So, you know, that's what I mean is like the constant correction, and this is going to be one of the biggest mandates for anybody defending the rights of children is to constantly refocus the argument on the rights and well-being of the child because the default position is going to be to pull your attention away and and allow the adults to in essence be the victim oh they're the victim because they're suffering they're longing they're hurting so whoever you decide is the victim that's where the argument is going to um you know that's what the argument's going to revolve around so you have to make sure that it's in all these conversations that you are making sure that it is clear that children are victimized when we get these questions wrong. We And we have an article that says, it's been so awesome to be able to post this over and over to people who are critiquing uh, being against surrogacy. Oh, well, you're only against it because of, it's you're just anti-gay and you're homophobe. And we posted that article in like 2016, I think, that's, yes, surrogacy is wrong even when straight couples do it. It's like, nope, actually, we think it's wrong regardless, like you said. Like this is the position where you actually get to answer all of the, the different rebuttals with complete consistency. And they think they continue, oh, you're just a religious nut. Oh, you're just against this because of gays. We're like, nope, it's a natural law argument that applies to everybody. Um, so it, it's, th this is the way forward. And that is why we are having the kind of influence we are having because it's defensible. And, and it's actually not that hard to understand. Kids need moms and dads. They shouldn't be bought and sold. Welcome to wacky land. That when you know one guy on yeah. Twitter said, "Keep your wacko, keep your wacko ideas to yourself." I'm like, "Yep, like kids need a mom and dad. You should not buy and sell them. Those are wacky ideas in 2023." <laughs> right? Yeah. Just all of the millennia after millennia of human existence, but 2023. Yep. You're listening to the Them Before Us podcast. We just launched a new homepage at thembeforeus.com, so head on over if you want to stay connected to us by signing up for our newsletter. If you'd like to donate, read our studies, the latest things we've been up to, or the stories of kids. Thanks so much for listening. Well, and this is great timing for um, Olivia Mur Muriel. We just we just got to meet her and chat with her. And then she did a, a long form interview with Ali B. Stuckey on YouTube. So go look that up. But she was from an egg donor and a surrogate and then was raised by her intended parents. And she's sharing her story now, which is really incredible to hear someone who now can articulate. Look, this was my experience. This is what I lost and what I didn't know I was missing, but knew something was off for so long. And so now we are getting to hear her story and her saying, this is what, you know, she ended her interview with Allie. This, I want people to know this. If you take nothing else, it all needs to be illegal. It's wrong. It should not happen. It needs to be illegal. What happened to me? How I can't, you know, my conception, it was wrong. It should be illegal. She's happy to be alive. She wants to be alive, but she can say it's wrong what they did to me. Well, and she is a woman who had mother and father love in her home. Right, she lost her genetic mother, she lost her birth mother, but she had the daily presence of a woman in her life. But she really testifies to what we regularly talk about and what we highlighted, highlighted very clearly in the yes, surrogacy is wrong even when straight couples do it argument, which is when you lose your mother, it creates a primal wound and it sets you back in terms of trust and attachment. And so what Olivia talks about and really goes into a lot of specific specifics in her interview with Ali Stuckey is 
this feeling of abandonment. She was terrified that she was going to be abandoned um, and it manifested itself in anxiety. It manifested itself in addictive behaviors. She's like, it manifests itself in the fact that I like smother people. Like I, 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 I'm so worried that they are going to leave me that I just smother them and then they leave because I'm smothering them. Like it's actually um, like short circuited the emotional wiring in some ways. So it's an amazing thing that she has decided to step out and share her story. Um, if it's not available yet, it will be soon, but she has a GoFundMe link. I'm sorry, it's a go, give, send, go, yeah. where she's gonna raise money because she wants to write a book um, and she should. Like the stories, her testimony is so critical to this fight because number one, there's very few surrogate born children who are old enough to talk about this. And of the few that are, there's very few that are willing to accept the social and familial cost to critiquing her parents' decision. Um, it takes a lot of courage to be honest about this and she's got it and she is paying a price for it. Um, so if you are interested in um, supporting her, um, we can put a link up for her, her Give, Send, Go account. But having her voice in this conversation at this moment has been so critical. Continuing on some of the news that popped up with Guy Benson, we had a few from, you know, friendly fire in a sense against anyone who was speaking out about this. National Review, I would say, is a pretty conservative outlet. Would you, is, or are they more libertarian as well? I know you said Cato Institute wrote a, an article that said, critics exaggerate the risks and minimize the benefits of gestational surrogacy. But I just perused it. It's only about four paragraphs long. And they talk, they only answer or try to answer the critiques from the perspective. It's a violation of the woman's rights or autonomy. They start to say, you know, most surrogates, surrogates don't think they're being objectified or exploited. Actually, they're well compensated. They don't mention the perspective of children's rights at all, which goes back to your earlier point that we have to approach this from the right of the actual victim. Yes, we believe women are being objectified and treated as just body parts. And there's so many health risks and things like that to women who are being used as surrogates. We agree that those things are all bad as well. But the problem is it's not enough to just talk about the way women are being treated. We really have to talk about it from the perspective of children's rights. Yeah. And the Cato Institute did come out with a longer form uh, study. Like they published a study that supposedly captured all the different data. Um, and you're like, oh, it's this long and exhaustive. But they only spent a very short amount of time looking at the impact on children and they go to the same like four different sources um largely out of a study in cambridge that uses very small sample sizes um that actually reevaluates the data on the same co cohort in a couple different ways and so you know here they're like well there's no impact on the kids well the kids are doing just as well well that study suffers from all the same limitations that honestly the same sex parenting studies do where like you're recruiting the samples they're very small you're not evaluating the actual outcomes of the children you're really just looking at what the parents say that the children how the parents say the children are doing and actually i think that you are going to have um Emma Waters on the podcast in another week or so. And she's really looked into those supposed no different studies for kids born through surrogacy and examined the limitations of the methodology. So Cato does 
talk about the studies that prove that everything's fine, but as per usual, they're not studies that can be extrapolated to the general public. So they do give a mention, but because there isn't enough data, there's very little data about there, there's not a lot to mention. And the real issue is why isn't there data? Why don't we have tons of studies about kids who were separated from their mother at birth intentionally and commercially? Because this is completely foreign to the human species and we've only been able to do it through these dystopic technologies. Um, the fact that we don't have studies should actually drive home the fact that this is bad, that we can't, that this does not happen naturally. It's not naturally occurring within our species should tell you that this is antithetical to who children are, what they need, and that it's going to damage their thriving. So um, Cato, yes, uh, you know, they come at it from a libertarian perspective, like, uh, who are we to judge? Why should we stop this? All the adults are happy. Um, the National Review, I I'm not super dialed into the National Review. It used to be sort of the flagship platform for conservatism. And as you can see, it's slidden very, very far from conservative principles. I think that there's a few good authors on there, one of which did write something um, true and, and correct on, on surrogacy. But this other, well, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I'm like, well, you know what? You can do that with slavery too. You can do that with abortion. But if you don't have any nice thing to say about slavery, don't say anything at all. Like what we're talking about here is a never before seen marketplace of newborns. That's what it is. And I don't have anything nice to say about it. And the answer is not to say anything at all. It is to savagely critique this because real children are being harmed. Right. Well, you've made a distinction. The way we chat personally, interpersonally to people can be very compassionate, it can be understanding. We can ask a lot of questions. But when we're talking about public policy and what should government and our law and our courts and our news and our politicians advocate for, we have to be very clear and strong and say that we're not going to stand by and watch innocent children be victimized by these technologies. So there's a big difference there. All right, we'll round out this episode on kind of surrogacy with another big uh, couple that popped up in the news. You had some comments on this too. So YouTubers, Shane Dawson, I think I actually watched this guy a long time ago before he had come out or I mean, he was just, people got famous on YouTube for, you know, filming themselves, jumping into pools off the roof and doing all sorts of random things, right? And now if it's, so he identifies as gay, so that's part of his identity as thing now. But he and his partner or husband got babies, twins, I believe, through surrogacy. But this guy has kind of this recent, like, checkered past where he's been joking about pedophilia think talking about sex with animals yeah sex with his cat just whether he's joking whether he's actually you know some creepy weirdo he's been joking publicly about these really bad inappropriate dangerous kinds of things and then when people are like oh you just were able to get procure children we're kind of pointing out yeah it's because you don't even have to pass a background check you know, and that was my main comment um, about that, that surrogate pregnancy. You know, they had have actually publicized that I, they had dozens of embryos. They each had a barcode. You know, how do you how do you choose which babies? You know, which barcodes? Like, I mean, it. Their whole story is sort of emblematic about how commercial and how adult centric this whole thing is. But 
And that's true for anybody that is going through the surrogacy process. But what really made this alarming was his very explicit, and if your kids are listening, this is the time to mute um, or pause and then come back. But you know, he made very specific comments about how he was aroused by the sight of a newborn. Mm. Um, that that was a, you know, a, an arousing um, experience for him. Or that um, why would it be wrong if you were aroused by something like that? And you know, I commented, you know, would he have ever passed an adoption background check? I think that there's a chance because references are a part of that. You have to get references for people that say, I would trust my kids with these people. Um, I haven't seen anything that is concerning to me. I don't know of any charges against them for child abuse. I mean, that's what home studies require to have those references. And then the home study will actually list the references. And if there's a red flag with the references, it stops the adoption process, at least for the purpose of investigation. So with this guy, with not one, but multiple uh, examples of creepy behavior towards children, sexualizing children to be specific, would he have passed an adoption screening? I think there's a very good chance the answer is no. But why could he get a child through surrogacy? Because there is no screening. <clears throat> there's no background checks. There's no home studies. There's no financial records. There's no health records. There's no home inspection. There's nothing. The only thing that you need to procure a child through surrogacy is lots and lots and lots of money. Mm -hmm. And we already have documented cases of pedophiles who have procured children through surrogacy for the sole purpose of exploitation, who never would have passed an adoption background check. And, you know, I, I made this point on Twitter and somebody said, oh, boy, this is a loophole that needs to be addressed. And I said, this is not a loophole. It's there by design. There yeah. have been a couple times where we have been fighting commercial surrogacy in different states. And we have said, okay, fine. It, it, this is a losing battle. Commercial surrogacy is obviously gonna pass. So how about we just add some conditions that will make it safer for the kid? So let's say anybody that is procuring a child through surrogacy needs to go through adoption screening. And it was completely shot down. Mm. They don't want to have to vet these homes. It would destroy their business model. And I'm not saying everybody that procures a child through surrogacy is a pedophile, but I'm saying that this is absolutely a pathway for people who cannot have children naturally or who refuse to have children naturally or who cannot find somebody that would want to have a child with them naturally, can have access to a child and walk out of that hospital with 100% parental control over that baby um, right. with no with nobody looking into who they are and what's going to happen to that child in the future. Yeah. Well, if you're listening to this and you feel frustrated about the state of, you know, child commodification in the country, we just encourage you to become the expert, especially, you know, we are based in Seattle and, you know, liberal, uh, uh, stronghold here on the West Coast. But, you know, there's people listening that are in all different states or maybe countries across the world. And you can become the expert for what these laws are and policies are for your state. And we're really excited because projects we have coming up this next year, we want to have a, a legal program where we are going to hopefully have more information and resources and be tracking what's happening around the country so that local advocates can join this fight but a big piece of that is educating yourself whether it's our podcast episodes chapters articles we've written so you can have these conversations and and just the way katie's been saying um 
you know, we're kind of influencing the influencers with how we talk about these topics because we've learned how to talk about it in a winning way that's getting people on your side because we're not attacking people or personal identity or we're not buying into the adults are the victim narrative. We're trying to say, no, children have rights. Children are victimized when we do these different things and we want to defend children. It's a very positive pro-child way to go about it instead of being portrayed as being anti-anybody or anti-gay, et cetera. Yep. And um, that's one of the reasons why we have found such favor. Yep. Both among one of the ordinary people that are trying to find words to articulate why they're uncomfortable about a lot of the shifts and promotion of modern family, but also among major organizations like the Heritage Foundation and Focus on the Family and um, Alliance Defending Freedom, you know, we've been able to collaborate and work with and inform how all of them uh, talk about marriage. And it's, they're all correct. They all have the right ideas about what marriage is and what children need. But what we've been able to do is, um, I'd say, sharpen their message in a way that allows them to build greater coalitions, uh, pull more people into the fold, because it is um, a method of talking about this that does state it, like you said, in terms of child defense, not as against adults, but for kids. Right. Well, it's been a great episode. I love chatting about these things and just continuing to process and think through the ways we can talk about this in a better way. And we hope you enjoyed this episode and we would love it if you would subscribe, share this with a friend, go to thembeforeus.com and check out our articles. Just type surrogacy up into the search bar and you'll see all the different articles and stories that we've shared. And we will put a link to Olivia's conversation with Allie in our show notes for you to go and check that out. That's and her, her fundraiser. So you can be a part of that. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks. For whether you are religious or irreligious, whether you are single, married, gay, or straight, if you are defending the rights of children, you are one of us. Thanks for joining this global movement to put them the children before us, the adults. Thank you.